Welcome to The Space Between the Notes, a bedroom disco podcast. I'm Sam Walsh, your host. You are about to hear me speak with Neil Halstead from the band Slow Dive. Slow Dive are a legendary British shoegaze band that formed in Reading in 1989. They, along with My Bloody Valentine, are credited with pioneering the shoegaze sound of ethereal, obscured vocals, swirling guitar distortion and effects, feedback, and overwhelming volume. The band's 1993 album, Suvlaki, has been recognized as one of the best releases of the 90s and one of the greatest shoegaze albums of all time. The band broke up soon after the release of their third studio album, Pygmalion, in 1995, and reunited in 2014 to play Primavera Sound Festival. In 2017, they released their first album in 22 years, a self-titled record and perhaps the best music they've ever done. Their fifth and latest album, Everything is Alive, came out on the 1st of September via Dead Oceans and is also excellent. It was a true honor for me to get to talk with Neil, who is Slow Dive's primary songwriter. We got to talk about everything from his studio setup to the band's early days to his love of surfing. Without further ado, here's our conversation. How's your day been? Uh, yeah, good, thanks. We're just, um, just rehearsing with Slow Dive at the minute. We've got an American tour in. Uh, about a week and a week or so, I think, week and a half. So we're just trying to trying to learn some new songs. <laughs> um, so yeah, we've just been doing that. You're trying to what learn some some new new songs or or the new songs from the uh, new record? No, they're um, from the new record. Yeah, yeah. How do you feel about touring at the moment? Uh, looking forward to it, actually, yeah, and it's nice actually to be playing some new ones as well. So, uh, yeah, look, at, I think we're all looking forward to it. Well, thanks for agreeing to come on the podcast. Uh, my yeah, my pleasure. Yeah, it's a very well. It's certainly my pleasure to have you. I've been a fan for a very long time. It seems kind of well. There was definitely a point that I can't imagine that I would have ever had the chance to interview anybody from Slow Dive. Um, so it's a real privilege. I usually like to start these interviews by asking if you could set the scene a little bit for what was going on for the band during the period of working on this album. What was in your mind? What were you driven by? creatively and if you can only speak for yourself that's all right i understand that you you probably are not um as intertwined as you perhaps were in the first iteration of slow dive so um yeah we're still pretty intertwined to be fair um well i i guess i mean we started talking about doing a record in i think probably what 2019 um we took it we'd taken a bit of time off um we did i think we did our last show 
at the beginning of 2019 and we we were due to have some time off so um i think after about three or four months we started talking about maybe doing some recording um and i'd been working on some just electronic music for the last sort of few years and um so i i thought it might be fun to just sort of try and um see if i could use any of that stuff for for slow dive and i I sent a bunch of the stuff through to everyone and you know we we ended up sort of picking a few ideas to work on and that was sort of how it started really probably towards the latter half of 2019 and we booked some recording time which was then in 2020 which was we had to cancel because of covid and all that sort of stuff so that that kind of stopped us in our tracks pretty quickly um and uh yeah i, I guess like like everyone else we, you know everyone had a pretty you know pretty hard time with covid and uh rachel lost her mom simon lost his dad and all that kind of stuff um um which was you know obviously uh a pretty full-on experience for those guys particularly um but we, you know, work-wise, we were still sort of working on the record and I'd send stuff to the band, the band and we'd work on stuff. But we didn't, you know, until, until I can't remember exactly when, but obviously until COVID was sort of out of the way, we couldn't really get into a studio. So, uh, um, but once we got into the studio, we, you know, we just sort of cracked on with the record and... It was, you know, it was quite a long, long process, what with everything. And we really found ourselves, you know, you know, just taking the songs in all kinds of different directions, really, just to try and figure out what kind of record we wanted to make and, you know, what kind of record felt felt good for us. Um, so it was a bit of a period of just exploring and, seeing what was going to work with with some of the ideas that we had originally. Well, your comeback record, Slow Dive, or the self-titled record from 2017, was probably your most sort of propulsive and, and, and explosive record in terms of sound. It felt like quite a sort of celebratory record, whereas this one is more wispy and interior and really until the very end it's pretty low key and it's not it's not necessarily dark but it's a more inward facing uh listen in my opinion and i read that you like you said you initially conceived of everything is alive as a minimal techno record closer in spirit to pygmalion not not a not a techno record. Not not a techno record. Definitely not. But a something record. in the spirit of <laughs> no. Technology. Well, I no. I mean, really, I as I said, what the ideas I came to the band with were were these very minimal electronic pieces of music, and the the only idea I had was this would be an interesting starting point rather than. You know, I sent like 40 ideas through of these very minimal, very electronic. It was all, you know, um, stuff that had been done on 
some some modular systems and some synthesizers and um, just different different things. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the idea was just well, this is a starting point. I didn't. It's kind of a. It's not really fair to. It's not true to say that I was going to, wanted to make a minimal electronic record. I just. It was a way to start the record. Um, rather than, you know, just because sometimes you just need to start in a different place. You know, if you want to do something a bit different, it's it's usually a good idea to, to start it in a different way, you know. So this was just a little... I just thought it'd be interesting to start it that way. Well, what are the what is the process of building songs like these that are so texturally meticulous or they sound so texturally meticulous and so specific about mood you know how many iterations do you go through like how obsessive are you about sounds and well i mean everyone's different <laughs> i'm i'm really obsessive about all that stuff so a lot of this stuff has gone through many many iterations and it is just about trying different you try lots of different things really because like you know I don't know how everyone else works on their music, but you know, for me, it's it's always just exploration. It's just I don't really know what I want. It, but sometimes you hear something, and you go, "Oh, that's cool," you know. So you you try lots of different things until you till the thing that goes, "Oh, that's cool," comes along, you know. And sometimes it's it's an accident as much as anything. Um, so it was just a lot of that, and it's a very sort of slow way to do it, and. You know, like stuff like there's a track on the record called "Prayer Remembered," which, which was like just initially, it was a complete, completely uh, the structure it has now. But it was literally just played on a kind of a, a synth that sounded a bit like a piano, but it had a lot of um, delay and stuff on it. And I literally just had the band, so Nick and Christian and Simon. Um, I don't think Rachel was there for this one, but they played along to that simple kind of, um, you know, piece of music. But then we then took that took that away from the track, and you're sort of left with this hole in the track. Um, so you sort of you kind of deconstruct stuff as well, and so there was a lot of that that happening where you'd. You know, you'd record a lot of stuff and then just pull it apart again, and then perhaps take take a section of it and and just work on that section in a different way. A chain to a cloud sort of came together a bit bit like that, which which is actually very similar to the way we worked with Pygmalion, which was a record which was more about deconstructing sounds and sort of creating loops and then creating loops on top of those loops. Um, so it was a much more uh, it's like making a jigsaw rather than sort of, you know, rather than going into a studio and just playing something live, you're sort of taking bits and pieces and putting them together in different ways to see what works, you know. And what does that look like for you as a process? Have you, have you got a lot of gear in your house or do you have a home studio and a daily process or... I have a I have a studio. I live in Cornwall. I have a studio which is twenty minutes up the coast from my house. It's on an old airfield, um, and I've been there for twenty years. I think I moved I moved there in nineteen ninety four, and um, and it's, I, 
I sort of finished the studio in 2002 and I've been there ever since. So I have all my stuff there. Um, and yeah, I mean, for me, it's even if I'm not doing stuff with soda, I've, if I have, you know, I'll just go there and I'll go there five days a week and make music and I usually work nine to five and... Um, uh, so yeah, I have I have lots of music, and I don't really do it to release anything. I mean, sometimes I'll I'll do it to release a record, but. Um, and you've been doing that the whole, uh, like throughout your hiatus with Slow Dive. I mean, you release some solo records as well. Yeah, I've been I've been doing music. I haven't stopped doing music, and. Um, different kinds of music and there was a lot of you know that was really interested in writing you know folk songs for a long time and when Slow I f- first finished I was just really interested in finding out how to write songs because we never really did that well I mean we kind of did but you know I I could never even play a Slow song on an acoustic guitar because we always used weird tunings so you never really knew what the chords were, you know. It was so when, you know, after Slow Dive, I literally spent like a few years, like just learning how to play acoustic guitar and how to play conventional chords, and and really kind of got into country music and um, not necessarily shoegaze. Right, and it's interesting that you think that you call it shoegaze music as well. Well, one thing I'm really curious about is. I wonder if you can try to describe the difference in feeling between writing the songs in the 90s that were a really novel type of sound that has influenced so many bands since the shoegaze sound and writing decades later, having lived through the experience of hearing your imprint on pop and indie music. I think many people would agree that these two records that you've made over the past decade are as good as, if not better than the ones you made in the 90s. But I'm curious, if you'll indulge me, to reflect on the differences in making music on either side of that 22-year hiatus, even though, of course, you were making music the whole time. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, in terms of soda, it doesn't feel like we make the records much in any particular way much different to how we used to make them we you know I think for us um, you know when we were first making the records when we were kids we we made the records by ourselves but we made them you know we were really lucky we met this guy called Chris Hufford who had a studio in Abingdon which was near where we kind of we all kind of grew up around Reading and uh, after we'd got, we'd sort of signed to Creation on the basis of a demo that we'd sort of done, which had four tracks on it. Um, we ended up putting the demo, well, two of the tracks from the demo out. And then when Creation wanted us to do a, do some more recording, we we found this studio in Abingdon, and just because it was close, and we went there and we met this guy Chris Chris Hufford and. He sort of became our, our mentor, really, and he, you know, he helped us record the records. He had the studio. He was an engineer, and he was, I think he was in this place where he'd been recording a lot of dance music and was a bit disenchanted because he, 
you know, he wanted to record bands and we sort of came along and he kind of got excited about recording with us, I think, because we were doing something that he'd never really heard before, you know. Um, and we did all our records there, really. And I think that was kind of our space, you know, and we'd make these records with Chris and we'd, you know, we'd go there for a week and, or three or four days and make an EP. We'd sort of come in with an idea of a song and just work it, work with it in the studio. And, and Chris, you know, really for me, Chris kind of mentored me in terms of like learning how to use a studio. And, you know, we didn't know anything about studios when we first went there. It was like there was the reverb button, you know, which was this amazing button that just made everything sound brilliant. Um, and Chris would be, well, you can't put reverb on everything. We'd be like, well, why not? It just sounds cool, you know. And so it was just stuff like that. It's not like you're breaking the rules because it's such a stupid thing to say putting reverb on everything breaks the rules. But really, it was kind of, you know, technically it wasn't really the done thing. And we sort of weren't making records that we expected to hear on the radio. So we didn't care if you couldn't hear the vocals or if the drums weren't super loud, you know, as long as the guitars were really loud, as long as you could turn it up really loud and kind of feel surrounded by this music, that was, you know, and we wanted to make records like the Cocteau Twins, like Sonic Youth, you know, like uh, My Bunny Valentine, like Dinosaur Junior, you know, that these bands that were making really interesting music with guitars and that was our sort of thing really and Chris really helped us do that and we... You know, we never had the label, we never came to the studio. We'd kind of just, they'd, we'd go there, we'd make something, we'd give it to them and they'd put it out, you know, and that was kind of how it worked really, up to a point anyway. Um, but Chris later went on to, you know, he he um, he found this band called On A Friday who uh, were... At, who changed their name to Radiohead, and he ma he managed them. He still manages them. But um, so we were making Pygmalion when when Chris first started managing Radiohead. When I guess when Pablo Honey came out, um, and they were sort of doing demos in the same in the studio, or I guess doing you know working out versions of the songs for Pablo Honey in Chris's studio while we were sort of doing Pygmalion, um, which is sort of weird to think about now because I guess they've been around for such a long time, you know, but we were kind of doing our last record at that point, which is really odd, you know. Well, they had a full career in your hiatus. Yeah, their, their career just sort of kicked off as we were, as we were finishing ours, you know, yeah, yeah. Are you so? Are are you still listening to and influenced by a lot of contemporary music, or? Um, I mean, yeah. I mean, I think just as a songwriter, you're kind of influenced by all kinds of, you know, everything. You kind of, I, I mean, I find it really like if you're working on a record, I find it really difficult to listen to much music. Um, I guess everyone's different, but I find it really distracting. So I will when I'm not making you know, a slow-dive record, I'll be consuming more music, you know. Do you still buy new tech and pedals and synths, or do you just have your faves and stick to them? I went through a phase of just buying a lot of modular stuff, and I kind of, I felt like I was like a, 
a, a total modular junkie for a while. I think a lot of people go down that rabbit hole. Uh, I think I'm over it now a little bit, but I spent so much money. And it, and it is a rabbit hole because these things, they're brilliant, but because there's no presets, you know, so you might spend a whole night just creating something really wonderful, you know, using a, a bunch of different modules, and then you'll come back the next day and you can't really recreate it, you know. So it's kind of one of those things where... There's a lot of editing making that kind of music, I think, but it's also exciting from that kind of perspective. Um, I'm not really like super techie, but I kind of do get into stuff like compressors and pedals and that sort of stuff. But um, yeah, I'm not really someone who knows a lot about microphones and that kind of stuff, you know. How do you know when you have an idea that you want to make into a song and how? And how do you know when, like, when you've gone into the studio, how do you know together, how do you have a sense when it's, when something's finished, do you think? Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I think as a band, we usually, you know, if all five of us are into something, then we know we're kind of onto something and we'll pursue it, you know. Um, but sometimes it takes a while to get to that point. I think with this record, the rest of the band definitely had a meeting and were like, we need to, you know, find a mix engineer because otherwise Neil's just going to fiddle with us for the next 10 years, you know, which was quite a helpful thing. I think there was a point where I was really struggling with kind of finishing the record. Um, so when we, we got Sean Everett involved, um, you know, to mix the record and I kind of went over to... LA and sat in while he kind of mixed it but he did a really good job I think and um, we sort of owe him a lot uh, in the same way that Ed Buller had kind of pulled Suflaki together because we struggled with that record trying to mix it as well and we needed to get someone else in to help um, and Sean kind of did that job for us with this one yeah Sean's an amazing producer he's worked on a lot of great yeah, He's so eclectic as well, but yeah, he just has these. Uh, he's got a, f a fine set of ears, you know. He just he can he can just hear hear what need you know the right thing that needs to be in a certain position, you know, or whatever it is, a certain frequency. So I'd like to ask you about the slab, uh, which is my favorite song on the record, I think, and it's perhaps the only moment of sort of heightened drama on Everything Is Alive or that that's it feels much more heightened than the other songs on the album one thing i love about it is that it sounds better if you listen to the full album leading up to it rather than a standalone track and i think that's somewhat rare nowadays and if you're a music journalist like me and somebody who listens to more new music a week than is good for you you kind of get the sense that the importance of sequencing is not as acknowledged as it perhaps has been in the past and I love when the tracks on either side of a song elevate the listening experience so I wondered if you could talk a little bit about how much you actually think about sequencing whether that's an intentional thing and also the process of writing the slab and what that song's about for you 
Uh, well, in terms of sequencing, I think, you know, we're, we, we all, you know, as a band, I think we always think about it, the thing as an album. I, you know, I guess we're probably old-fashioned in that respect. But we grew up listening to vinyl and that whole experience of, you know, you get your record and you listen to it, you put the A-side on, you roll a joint or whatever it is, and... You know, you get to, you turn it over, you get the B side, and it's it is it's a whole thing, you know. So, um, it yeah, it's a, it's a big part of. I think we always there was a point, you know, quite early on when we were working on the set of tunes when when we when well, I certainly thought well, Shanty's probably going to be the first track. And once we'd started working on the slab, it always felt like the slab was going to be the last track. And so we had these bookends to the record quite early on. Um, but yeah, and and the slab sort of came about literally just from this uh, keyboard, this very heavy kind of keyboard sound. And it, it's kind of like playing, it, you know, it's, it's, it's playing these weird chords, but it was... I think it's like the the Moog Matriarch, and it you create these uh, like polyphonic chords by just stacking up these oscillators, and so it was playing fifths and thirds, and also uh, you know like these low octaves, and um, it was just creating a sound that like a slab of sound, and and the song started with that, and and we sort of built it from there really. Um, and you know it was we always were trying to get it you know, to sound pretty heavy, but, you know, dense and um, have some sort of weight to it. Um, so, yeah, which was a different remit to a lot of the tracks on the record, for sure. Do you have a favourite track from the record? Um, I don't know if I have a favourite. I, I really like Prayer Remembered, um, I think, and I liked... It was kind of how easily that one sort of arrived at its destination, you know, and so it has a sort of a certain. It feels it has a sort of a, a freeness to it, um, you know, and it's a dark track, in some ways, but it, it's um, yeah. I just so, and and for me, it's quite personal. I wrote it not long after I uh, my son Albert was born and. Um, in 20, 2019, um, in August, August 20th. So I'd, I'd written it a few days, not long after he was born, and just it was just a sort of a, a thing that I wrote on the piano. And then literally, um, I sort of took these these MIDI notes that, you know, that, that had been created off this piano keyboard and had had a synthesizer play it um so it, it has a kind of quite a personal um thing for me um as well but it, it's interesting because i think for rachel and simon it's uh, it, they you know it's a track they kind of associate with with their you know uh, rachel with her mother and and Simon with his dad, who both passed during COVID. So it's, it's it's a weird revolving door kind of track for us, I think. Since you're in the space between the notes, final question is always the same. 
It's a multiple choice question, and you're going to have to bear with me. Okay. Apart from, the question is, apart from music, what is the most fun thing? Is it A, sports, B, books, C, food, D, movies, E, extreme sports, F, traveling, G, backgammon, H, <laughs> making jokes, I, gaming, or J, other. And if you choose other, your favorite thing will be added to the list. Oh, um, you're only allowed to choose one. You're only allowed to have one favorite thing. I'll, I'll allow you to have a couple uh, if you'd like. Um, I'm not I'm not okay, so about it. The list has got absurdly <laughs> um, convoluted now. So I, I would definitely say B, books, um, but I would also add surfing to that. So oh, yes, yeah. surfing. Actually, I, sh I should have added surfing because my last guest, Buck Meek, said surfing, actually. Yeah, and, it, and it, it's, a, it's one of those things that is all-consuming, you know. It, you know it, it, it's, have you been a surfer your whole life? I started surfing in, in uh, 1991. Uh, the first time we went to America, we played... We played a show at the Whiskey Go Go, and it was at the end of the tour. Uh, me and Simon, our drummer, kind of got kidnapped by these kids from Huntington Beach after the show, and we ended up staying in Huntington for a few days. And they they took us out surfing, and I kind of got the bug. Um, uh, yeah, I really got the bug at that point. I came back to I was living in London at the time, and I came back to London and. And I'd be like scooting off to Cornwall every other weekend to surf, you know. And, and that was before you could kind of have like surf forecasts on online and all that sort of stuff. So eventually I got to, you know, got a couple of mates down in Newquay and I'd ring them up and ask them how the surf was looking. And then I'd, you know, get in my old red fiesta and drive down at two in the morning so i could get to fistral at six in the morning you know to get a surf in um so i became pretty obsessed with it for a while yeah i still am really it, it, it definitely it changes your life a little bit you know yeah yeah i used to surf quite a lot when i was younger did you but I haven't done it for some time. I'm not too far away. I'm in Bristol, so yeah. Well, you've got the wave there. You can go. You can go to that wave pool there. It's supposed to be really good. That's true. I haven't been to the wave. It yeah. is quite expensive, though, to go to the wave. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not free, as as the, the sea is. Yeah, a friend of mine was saying <clears throat> that when you count up, because I guess you get an hour, f and you probably end up getting like. 20 or 30 waves because it's really quick turnaround so he was trying to cost out you know how much it was per wave and he figured it was pretty cheap in that respect you know <laughs> it probably is it probably is yeah what about books what do you like to read you read novels uh yeah just look i like i'm reading um i just got the new I, I like a lot of biographies at the minute, actually. So, um, 
I'm, I'm just reading the new Nick Drake biography, actually, which is which is really yeah, good. Who wrote that? Um, oh God, I can't remember. I was just at End of the Road Festival, actually, and they. I went to a talk by the author, and I can't remember his name now, which is really stupid. Um, but sorry, I'll add it in the show notes. Yeah, you can look it up. But it's pretty good. I mean, I've I read the other one that there was a really good one that came out quite a few years ago. But this 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 is kind of, I guess, the official one. It's kind of got all the family involved and all the friends and stuff. So, um, but yeah, I, I just read. I read a lot of novels and and stuff. Um, of audio books and which is brilliant for traveling actually audio book books uh i've been listening to uh memo memorindian memorindian at the minute which is uh i guess it's it's came out quite recently it's a really good book novel about about the first world war and the sort of um relationship between these these boys you know great well, thanks so much for coming on the podcast, Neil. Uh, I really appreciate it. It's a great pleasure for me to get to speak to you. Um, I've been a slow dive fan for a long time. Maybe not as long as many, but um, long enough. Well, thank you for uh, thanks for the thanks for talking to me. It's been fun. That was me talking with Neil Halstead from Slow Dive. You've been listening to the Space Between the Notes, a bedroom disco podcast. I'm Sam Walsh, your host. Thank you for listening. This podcast is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Sam Walsh, with music from Greg Dixon. Thank you to anyone who listened.